As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Well, the Phillies have a new leader. Welcome to the Phillies Talk Podcast. I'm Corey Seibin. He's Jim Salisbury. And Jim, Dave Dombrowski, huh? The Phillies uh, finally finding their new president of baseball operations or the leader of baseball operations in Dave Dombrowski. Guy that we mentioned here a couple months ago, but then kind of flew off the uh, radar in terms of who the Phillies were looking at. How did this all come together? Well, yeah, I think when they uh, demoted Matt Klintak back in early October, um, we put together a list of potential candidates. He was a prominent name on our list simply, um, you know, because of his track record and because of the, some of the things that John Middleton had said he was looking for in terms of somebody who's won, somebody who's been there and done that, somebody who is, uh, can evaluate, develop talent. Um, but, you know, most of all, with a nine-year playoff drought, um, a frustrated, angry fan base, a, uh, an ownership group that really wants to get back to um, the play baseball in the postseason. A guy like Dombrowski made a lot of sense. Two World Series championships, been to the World Series four times. He was immersed. Um, he had been fired in Boston after the 2019 season, a year after winning a World Series, uh, and become part of this group in Nashville that was trying to lure a uh, Major League Baseball team to that city. He um, there was an opening in Anaheim, opening at the Mets, opening in Philadelphia. You know, when he was contacted by people, he said that he was very interested and just wanted to stay in Nashville and be part of that. Phillies reached out to him early, heard that message that he wanted to stay committed to Nashville, didn't want to run a team again. I mean, he was pretty, pretty uh, forceful in it, saying he didn't want to be in a front office again. But, you know, at, at his age, he had had enough of it, essentially. Um, Phillies kept in contact with him over these past couple of months. The answer was always the same. He was committed to Nashville. They moved on and started interviewing candidates, um, really ramped it up here in the last couple of weeks. Michael Hill, Josh Burns, Thad Levine were kind of uh, emerging as the lead guys. Um, other guys were discussed like Dan Duquette, uh, Brian Sabian, Ned Coletti, all uh, very strong veteran baseball men. Uh, I get the impression they really liked Levine. They were impressed with Levine and um, may have been in the process of moving forward with him. Uh, he decided that he, as a young family, and wanted to stay in Minnesota. At th that point, um, it sounds like they picked up the phone one more time and talked to Dombrowski. This is just a few days ago. And Dombrowski at this point said, you know what, let's talk. And uh, it came together rather quickly. He was um, uh, everything – the Phillies were looking for because they're really desperate to get back to the postseason. He knows how to get them there, get a team there. And um, <clears throat> Phillies have the, obviously the resources to hire him. He's, he's, he's probably going to the hall of fame. I'm sure he's not cheap. 
and uh, the resources that he's not going to be coming here sitting on his hands. He's going to be allowed to do things. They're not going to be entering a rebuild. So came together quickly, and here we are on um, late Friday morning, and official announcement should come later today. So four pennants that Dave Dombrowski's teams have won, two World Series. Uh, the Tigers did not win a World Series while he was there, but they got there twice. They got the four ALCS, and, you know, the year that he took the Tigers over, that was their 43 and 119 season. And then three years later, they were in the World Series. So that was a you know, pretty quick turnaround. Though Dave Dombrowski has this reputation in baseball over the last couple of decades as being a guy who, when he leaves the organization, it's kind of in shambles. I mean, the Tigers mm-hmm. have bottomed out since he left. They have some bad contracts on their books. The Red yeah. Sox have some bad contracts on their books. There's also been a lot of good. I mean, I wrote a piece today at NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com, the first of a two-part series, looking at the best signings and trades that Dombrowski made at his last two stops. This weekend, we'll look at the worst signings and trades that he's made at his last two stops. But there's different sorts of moves there. You know, there's the signing of J.D. Martinez in Detroit, for example, unheralded. The acquisition of Doug Fister, a guy who was acquired very cheaply and then pitched well for the Tigers for three seasons. Then there's the big-tier moves of acquiring Miguel Cabrera in his prime, you know, one of the best hitters ever uh, in his prime and then overpaying him in his mid-30s. So there's a mixed bag, but... You know, what do you think of Dombrowski's reputation of being a win-now aggressive GM who doesn't uh, specialize in the long-term building of farm systems compared to what the Phillies want and need now? That's a very layered question. Um, he is a polarizing guy uh, when you talk to – when you evaluate uh, his reputation and his career. Um, he does have a reputation for doing whatever it takes to get to the postseason to win a World Series – and then, you know, you wake up one day and your organization looks like Chernobyl in 1987 or whatever it was. Um, but I also think in a lot of cases, Detroit and Boston, um, Miami in 97, and what it became in 98 after they won, I, I think in a lot of those cases, he was really following very strong directives from ownership. The Tigers, um, with Mike Gillich were really desperate to win a world series and they were telling him to pull out all the stops um, acquires Miguel Cabrera, as you said, in, in, in his prime and terrific acquisition. And then you had to scratch your head about the, the $240 million a year, eight year extension, which still has three years left has become an albatross. And um, they have been, you know, a woeful team basically the last few years. And, and he moved on to Boston um, Great acquisition of sale, helps them win a World Series, um, but then questionable contract extensions, uh, very aggressive contract extensions, which hamstrung the payroll, ultimately contributed at the very least to them um, having to you know, move on from Mookie Betts, trade him. He didn't sign an extension, but you know, I'm sure he would have if it was what the Dodgers gave him. So very polarizing. In terms of ignoring the farm system, I don't think he's a guy who ignores the farm system at all. And it's a good thing because he needs to come in here and, and, and work on that farm system. This farm system, they need, to, they need work. Um, what he is, I think, is a guy that hires people he trusts to run scouting and a farm system and um, bring in prospects that might help you big league team on your field or might help another big league team uh, as he, you know, uses them as, as trade capital. And he's very aggressive with that. He's not afraid to use prospects as trade capital. He's one of these guys who use prospects as just that 
minor leaguers, and his goal is to win a World Series. And if he smells one, and it means they're going to take it on the chin a few years down the road, um, he's going to go for it. And he's going to take that World Series and that trip down Broad Street and uh, just suck it up on the back end um, and maybe even be gone from that franchise when, when somebody else is, is kind of sucking it up on the back end. But I firmly believe he is he, – he, ownership in all his cities know what they're getting when they're getting him. They're, get, they're getting a guy that can get him over the hump quickly, help him win a World Series quickly, um, make fans happy, make ownership happy. Uh, and then, you know what, down the road you deal with the, the consequences. Um, he follows ownership mandates, and I think that's his mandate here in Philadelphia. Come in here and get us back to October and win us a World Series. Those are the mandates from John Middleton and the ownership group. He's not coming here at age 64 to preside over a rebuild. He's not coming here with a $330 million right field to to preside over a rebuild. I don't think he's coming here to trade the second-place rookie of the year finisher at third base. Uh, I think he's coming here with a chance um, to win a ball game three times out of five with Nola Wheeler and Eflin at the top of the rotation. Try to fill in um, where he can. Um, you know, try to rebuild that bullpen. It's not going to be easy on a, you know, a budget that's obviously being scaled back a bit this year because of the pandemic. But that's not to say that the budget's not going to swell again as soon as we have a virus and a vaccine and as soon as fans are back in the seats. I always think the Phillies going to act like a big market team under John Middleton uh, in normal times, and these just have not been normal times. Uh, I don't know that they're going to unseat the Braves in 2021. I don't know that they can close the gap, fill all the holes they need to uh, with the economic uncertainty, with the time frame, with where they are. Um, but they'll be expected, I would, I would certainly bet, to make strides in 2021. Uh, and I wouldn't count him out making some creative moves to inch this thing forward enough in 2021 that if, if, they, if they play well, that – you know what, they, they could make things really interesting while um, setting sights on really um, a deep postseason run in 2022, 2023, and beyond, uh, especially as the revenues return and we get a, a vaccine. So um, I think that's how we sum up how he is polarizing. He follows orders, win a championship, do whatever you have to do to win a championship. He's been with organizations that have had that mindset. Mindsets change. He moves on. He is back with an organization that now has that mindset um, in the Phillies. If you've been looking for a new or certified Toyota, come be part of the team. With inventory arriving daily, we'll help you find a vehicle that works for your lifestyle and budget. We'll continue to ensure your next buying experience is as safe and efficient as possible. Our service center is open with easy online scheduling and a quick clean process to get you back on the road safely. Head to teamtoyota.net and be safe be strong, be a team. Seems lazy to me to assume that like, just because he signed Nate Evaldi to a $60 million contract in Boston, that he's going to sign a similarly tiered pitcher or player uh, to an overpaid contract here. I mean, it, it doesn't follow that um, direct of a straight line, you know, just because a guy does one thing in one organization doesn't mean he's going to do the same thing in another organization a few years later. And really, if you look back at the, you know, the trade history, for example, with the Tigers, it reminded me of the Phillies trade history in that 07 to 11 period where like none of the prospects they traded turned out 
You know, the, the, I guess you could say the best prospect that Dombrowski traded during that time was Andrew Miller in the Miguel Cabrera trade, but it took yeah. Andrew Miller five more years before he really evolved into a dominant reliever, the same way it took Carlos Carrasco five more years after the Cliff Lee trade before he really emerged as a top flight starting pitcher. Another guy that we didn't mention that Dombrowski acquired was Max Scherzer. Uh, back in 08, how about this? Traded Matt Joyce, Matt Joyce, who spent most of his career as a part-time player, straight up to the Rays for Edwin Jackson. And then about a year to the day later, flipped Edwin Jackson and Curtis Granderson to get Max Scherzer, who then, you know, a couple years later was the best pitcher in baseball. So there's yeah. some good, there's some bad. Uh, if the Phillies were just about to embark on a rebuild, I could understand a lot of the negativity around Dombrowski, but they're not. They're in a different position right now. And if you were embarking on a rebuild, he wouldn't be the guy you'd hire. Right. He wouldn't be the guy you'd hire. It's like going way back when, um, and this has um, some connection in a roundabout way to Dombrowski, going way back when, um, you know, in 1997, 1996, 97, when the Phillies moved on from Jim Fergosi, and they were entering a, they were going to enter a rebuild. It was going to take time. They were going to tear things down rebuild the farm system, try to get into a new stadium. Um, you know, they could have hired a Jim Leland or they could have hired a Terry Francona. You hire your Jim Leland when you're ready to win. They hired a young guy, Terry Francona. Now all these late, years later, Francona is a guy you'd hire when you're ready to win. But yeah, there are, there are horses for courses and there are horses that you ride in a rebuild. There are horses that you ride when you're trying to, uh, push things over the top. That's why the Phillies hired Pat Gillick in um, October of 2005 or November of 2005 to get over the hump. And he did. Um, if they were going to, you know, really pull back on the reins, they wouldn't have hired a, a Pat Gillick. So uh, that's where this organization is. That's where this ownership group is. Um, there's a I think desperation is, is a very legitimate word. Um, the heat they're taking publicly from their fan base, they're paying customers, uh, you know, very important group of people, maybe the most important group of people. The fans are frustrated. The customers are frustrated. A very competitive owner who has, um, you know, been out there and stating his will to win. It's, it hasn't happened. There's, there's disappointment. There's desperation. There's a guy who's, who's driven, uh, you know, walked the miles this franchise needs to ride. And that's who they're hitching their wagon to. He's polarizing. You're going to have people say it's, it's a bad fit. You're going to have people say it's a bad hire. You're going to have other people say it's a, it's a good fit and it's a good hire. We're not going to know for three, four, or five years whether this was a good hire, right? Uh, because, you know, once upon a time um, – I don't actually recall anybody saying Andy McPhail was a bad hire. Now he didn't come in as just as your president of baseball ops. He came in overseeing the entire organization, but Middleton at the press press conference, when they hired him said his focus was going to be baseball and his mandate was to win. That did not happen. But going back to that, you know, time uh, in 2015, uh, September, October, 2015, I just don't remember anybody saying this is a bad hire. Um, Andy McPhail. Um, I mostly remember pe people saying it was a very sound hire. He had a, a good track record. He was a pro. He knew what the hell he was doing. Um, it didn't work. I think there's a number of reasons it didn't work. I think he gave a inexperienced front office too much autonomy, the front office that he brought in and he hired. 
that's on him. He has used the expression that these five years have been a, quote, severe disappointment. Uh, but again, when he came in, I don't remember anybody squawking about the hire. In hindsight, it didn't work. But when you made it, everybody said Andy McPhail knew what the hell he was doing. And here we sit on December, what's the date? 11th. December 11th of 2020. What we can say about Dave Dombrowski, he's been there, he's done that. He knows what the hell he's doing. Check back in three or four or five years and we'll tell you if it was a good hire. Yeah, I mean, that's like the boring answer, but it's the truth. I mean, it could be a disaster. It could be a success. It could be mediocre. could be any of those things. You don't know the day the guy's hired what it's going to be. I mean, the players, for, in large part, dictate that. Um, it's, about the, it's about the people you put around you, you know? It's about the scouting director and his group going out there and identifying people. Uh, it's about the international scouts identifying people. It's about ownership making sure that those two groups have enough money to do what they need to do. Uh, it's about your analytics department it cannot be ignored in this day and age. I know Dombrowski is old school. He's a scouting and field guy, but I'm sure he'll, he'll tap into the information that these guys have given him. He'll make the ultimate decision, but um, you know, you have to use all your resources these days. It's about your minor league system your instructors. Uh, it's about the players you're bringing in, the people who are developing these guys. It's about building an entire organization and having um, using all of those people that you, you, you hire and, and build with and all those processes to get to the World Series eventually. So um, he's, he's going to be in charge of, the, of it all. I'm sure he's going to come in here and do a very deep review of this organization. There are areas where they need to make changes, and I'm sure he will not hesitate to make the changes. I'm sure he'll be given the, the autonomy to make those changes. Uh, there's no way a guy with his resume doesn't come here. He doesn't come here if they're going to a rebuild. He doesn't come here if he's not going to be allowed to roll up his sleeves. And he's always been a gunslinger. You know, maybe in the, in the pandemic winter of 2020, 21, he can't be that gunslinger. But things get back to normal. He will be Dave Dombrowski, right? And he will get the resources he need needs and he'll hire the people he needs and you know if they if the people he brings in build a strong farm system and he can use those pieces to make trades to get to a championship that's what it's all about that's the reason you do all the push-ups and the sit-ups and the spin rates and all that crap in the in the winter that's the reason you know these guys train all winter that's the reason they go to Clearwater is to win a championship so that's what it's all about so if you get one um and things turn into Chernobyl on the back end you know, you just kind of, you deal with it. I do think sustainability is, is a good thing and, and attractive. And I have a lot of respect for teams that can sustain year after year after year and be there. Uh, but those organizations really are, are few and far between. Uh, almost every organization at some point has to cycle down a little bit. Um, Phillies are not cycling down. The, the pandemic is causing them maybe to tread water a little bit. But guess what? It's causing teams in, in 28 other cities to tread water a little bit. Um, at, the, at the back end, if they come out of this with a championship, it'll be a good hire. JT uh, Real Muto, do you think that the Dave Dombrowski hire makes any impact one way or another on what the Phillies do this offseason? I mean, the, the bigger development might be happening in New York where it appears that the Mets are, you know, deep in talks with James McCann. And if they bring in James McCann, that would have a significant impact on the market for JT Real Muto. It might. I, I don't know. It might. I mean, he's got such um, um, cachet 
and, and chops in, in, in the game and in the industry that he might be able to look at an ownership group in the eye and say, you know, we really need to pull out all the stops or do whatever we can do to, to keep JT Real Muto, um, even in this difficult baseball economy. Uh, and, you know, the Phillies might actually end up being in a pretty good position if they can wait this thing out. If the Mets go with McCann, uh, how many other teams are going to be in the race for Real Muto? You know, I definitely don't rule out the Washington Nationals. I would never rule out the Yankees. Even though they brought back Sanchez, I would never rule them out, especially if LeMahieu doesn't come back. Um, I wouldn't rule out the Blue Jays. Not sure if they're completely realistic in the end game, but maybe. Maybe they are. Anaheim, maybe. But he liked Philadelphia. He likes his teammates. Um, and if, if, if that market comes down to a place where the Phillies – can, can live with it. And I just think back to opening day when I had an interview with John Middleton. It was right after Betts signed his extension with the Dodgers. Uh, it was sort of backloaded with low salaries, low base salaries and what, 21 and 22, you know, when the pandemic could be going on, when there could be labor strife. Uh, and then there was deferred money. And, and John indicated that the Betts deal might offer a roadmap to getting a deal with J, JT done if JT would be open to it. So, um, you know, we see as time goes on, markets change, guys' price tags change. Maybe JT's to a deal, I'm not saying with the dollars of bets, but maybe with the structure of bets, maybe he becomes a little more open to that. And maybe in February we're having a press conference and he's back. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's a slam dunk. Nobody knows, but I'm not ruling out JT Real Muto returning. Uh, and I'm not ruling out the Phillies being an interesting ball club in 2021. We've talked about this before. There's a lot of good on that team, and it's top-heavy. Uh, you got you got Bryce Harper in right field. You have a rebounding Reese Hoskins at first base. You have the second-place finisher in the rookie of the year at third base. You have Nola Wheeler and uh, Eflin a pretty good place to start. After that, drop-offs pretty much all over the diamond, uh, especially out in that bullpen. Um, but I, we've both seen it a million times. Bullpens can, can turn quickly. Existing guys can come back and, and be better and turn it around and get on a roll, get some momentum. You can make one key move that, that helps you. And, yes, the Phillies had a historically bad bullpen in 2020, but – to remind everyone it was just a two-month season and how many times have we seen bullpens be horrendous for two months and then okay for two months so you had you know in in the normal course of a season uh they might not have been as bad as as, as we remember uh so really really interesting times with, with the phillies Corey. Uh, the Phillies this offseason, you know, we, we knew that it was going to be a financial crunch for them and they've signed just a couple of guys to minor league deals really haven't done anything notable yet um and I'm not talking about the high-profile moves, but do you think that once Dave Dombrowski comes in and gets settled in after a couple of days, after a week, that the Phillies offseason is going to start to take shape? Because, like, we're seeing some relievers sign for, like, a million dollars. And I can't imagine the Phillies are going to completely ignore the bullpen again and just go with all minor league deals. Uh, you'd figure that they're going to at least give a couple of guys, like, a million, two million, something yeah. like that. Like a Matt Whistler? Right. <laughs> he went off the board the other day. He's the type of guy that, you know, I think you take a shot on for a million bucks. Yeah, I think he's going to come in here and be active. I, I do. Um, 
uh, again, there's, there's some financial constraints that all teams are feeling right now because of the pandemic, but um, you, you don't bring in a Dave Dombrowski and put handcuffs on him. He's going to, he's going to do something in that bullpen. I heard this week from some uh, industry sources that there was, you know, they were working on a trade for a player. They thought they could make a trade. Maybe he comes in and maybe he can get that trade. And I don't know what it is. Maybe he can get that to the finish line, but, you know, I think there was – they've had a very slow winter with uh, just making a couple of waiver claims. They're apparently going to re-sign Ronnie Torres, the infielder, to a minor league deal. Uh, but it's been a slow-moving offseason. Um, and maybe because, you know, you had an interim front office that essentially was just uh, a placeholder. And um, I just – think you bring in a guy like Dombrowski, like I said, you don't put handcuffs on. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna get to work uh, and, and try to at least make this thing better. You, you mean you don't think Kyle Holder is the answer in, in 2021, the Phillies rule five pick, shortstop from the Yankees? Yeah, Kyle Holder, Corey, the guy uh, you mentioned, they picked in the rule five draft on Thursday. He you know, was a former first-round pick, uh, but he's a defensive first guy. Profiles as, as a utility guy, as a depth guy, if he makes the team. Um, but I don't think he comes in here and wins your starting shortstop job, becomes your starting shortstop. He's never played above double A. I think he's more utility, depth, uh, take a peek at a position where you, where you need some depth, uh, but not necessarily, no, not necessarily the answer for 2021. I'm not real keen about playing Gene Segura there. Um, other than that, I guess it would be Scott Kingery, who's played some there. Uh, but it's not a pure shortstop. Um, so I, I think that's a position they really need to take a, a very good look at. Uh, in addition to catcher, possibly center field, and as we seem to always come back to the bullpen. It is the season to thrill at the Nissan year-end sales event. Get in, then get out and experience the most riveting ride of the year in a brand new Nissan. These savings on Nissan's lineup are sure to raise your pulse. So we've been talking about the importance of the people around Dave Dombrowski in the front office. How do you think the Phillies are going to structure this front office? Are they going to hire a general manager under him? Uh, Dombrowski serving as the president. Are they going to hire a GM below him? And then also, I mean, what do you think of Dave Dombrowski's relationship or rapport with Joe Girardi, a guy that he would have been facing for a couple years there in Boston? Yeah. I mean, I think the front office structure is going to be this way. Dombrowski is going to be your president of baseball operations, completely focused on baseball. He's going to be the guy that's out there. He's going to be the guy that speaks for baseball operations. He's going to be the guy that pulls all the strings. He will report directly to ownership. I do believe he'll hire a general manager under him. Um, so much these days uh, with the way titles work um, is different than we're used to. But uh, when you have a president of baseball ops, the general manager is akin to what used to be the assistant general manager, right? Uh, I think uh, Dave is going to be running the show. He'll add somebody under him, maybe out from outside the organization, uh, maybe from, from, from inside the organization. I don't think, uh, you know, Ned Rice is uh, the interim GM. I don't think he would be a, necessarily a candidate for that role. But, you know, Sam Fold is in that front office, um, and he was a finalist for the Boston Red Sox manager's job, very highly regarded. Um, you know, I wonder if he might have some type of a future in a role under, under Dombrowski or maybe he brings in a, a G GM from outside the organization. But that guy will be there to assist Dave Dombrowski. Dave is the point man. He's going to be the focal guy. 
he's the guy that that's going to be out there. He's going to, you know, take the heat. He's going to, you know, take the back pads. He's, uh, he is running the show. Uh, as far as Girardi, you know, the Dombrowski hire actually reminds me a little bit of Girardi in this. Um, when they hired Joe Girardi a year ago, I got the sense that the organization, the ownership, uh, they wanted to hire somebody that they felt like knew what the hell he was doing. And that's kind of the same feel I get with Dave Dombrowski. He, he comes in here with like, with like Girardi with a track record, and you just get the feel that he knows what the hell he's doing. I think there'll be mutual respect. I don't know how well they know each other. They certainly competed against each other uh, in the American League from, you know, between Detroit and the Yankees. And, um, and then Boston and the Yankees when Girardi was with the Yankees. Dombrowski in Detroit and Boston. So they've, they've known each other as competitors. I have to believe that there is, um, there's, there's mutual respect there. If I was a GM, I'd feel very confident with Joe Girardi running my ball club. I want to have my area, and that's constructing an organization uh, from a farm system up. Uh, I want to construct an organization and a big league roster. And then I want to hand all those resources over to my manager and say, go win me some ball games. And if you don't win enough ball games, that's when you make changes. But I, I think they're going to be a good fit. Um, but, you know, time will tell. Time will tell um, how that all, all works together. But, I, um, you know, uh, Dombrowski really had a very good chemistry with Jim Leland, a former catcher, old school, kind of scruffy and sticky nose in the dirt. Joe was that kind of player. He's much more data-driven and analytical than a guy like Leland, but I, I, I see no reason why the relationship can't work. I think they'll both respect each other's roles and kind of stay in each other's lanes. And um, it, it might end up being a really, a really good marriage. Uh, but like I said, only time will tell. Uh, we'll, we'll get a feel for it when we see it actually operating on the field over the course of a year or more. Joe Girardi is, um, you know, MLB as part of an extended remote winter meetings, they're going to make all the 30 managers available next week, uh, which they usually do at the winter meetings. So in lieu of that, they're all going to be available next week uh, via video conference. Girardi will be available on Monday. I am sure he will be asked about that. Uh, he will, I'm sure he'll say all the right things and, you know, we'll kind of watch that relationship come together and blossom throughout the course of 2021 and beyond. And, um, like I said earlier, we'll know if this was a good hire in um, a year, two years, three years, four years, when we see results. And we'll know if the Girardi-Dombrowski marriage is going to work and if it's going to be a good win in a year, two years, three years, when we see um, the interaction and the results. But uh, I think they got two pretty good leaders um, in their baseball operations at the moment. It's also the time of the year that we typically get our annual Scott Boris availability, right? You think he's been working on any uh... – catchphrases for the socially <laughs> winter meetings no but i'm sure I, I i do think he might do something next week too because uh, never is he 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 left out in the cold by a pandemic i mean he just mm -hmm. you know he'll just uh shift gears and, and make himself uh, available via different mediums um so i look forward to that i would bet he's thrilled um by the hiring of dave dombrowski because he's got a big client out there right field he's got a big client at first base he's got a big client at third base got a lot of Phillies um, and uh, he, he doesn't want to see those guys primes wither away and um, you know I don't think 
they won't for at least a lack of trying with, with, with the Dombrowski front office. And he's a bit of a gunslinger. I mean, he'll go out there and sign a big deal. Sometimes to a fault, he'll go out there and swing a big trade. And um, that, that can really juice up an agent's uh, um, excitement level as well. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that with this item off the checklist, now the Phillies can kind of get to the next phase of their offseason. You know, they have the, the, um, the structure at the top now at the front office. Now they can fill in below it and see what kind of moves they can make. And as we mentioned next week, that's what's on tap. We'll get to hear from Joe Girardi uh, during a time that ordinarily would have been the winter meetings, with a lot of activity that would have been this week. Uh, everything's just so much different in 2020, but Hey, hopefully there's some activity here before the holidays. He's Jim. I'm Corey. Thanks for listening to the Phillies talk podcast.